Welcome to Health System, CIO's partner perspective interview series. I'm Anthony Guerra, Editor-in-Chief. Today we're talking with Ryan Witt, Managing Director of Healthcare at Proofpoint, about the most recent cyber attacks against healthcare organizations and how studying those attacks can help IT professionals avoid becoming the next victim. Ryan, thanks for joining me today. Anthony, great to be here, and, and I join you at a very interesting time where you know, it's cyber attacks have been kind of an ever-present uh, thorn in healthcare side for, for many years now, but with the real uptick in ransomware activity in healthcare and beyond, it's, uh, it really is a timely discussion for us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I almost feel like, I don't know if there's a sense of panic that's, that's going to be setting in soon if we keep seeing these attacks, so I'm looking forward to discussing it. Can right. you start off by giving us a little bit about your organization and your role there? Sure. I work for Proofpoint. Proofpoint is a cybersecurity, cybersecurity company uh, wholly focused on protecting people, how they work, uh, their organization. Um, it's no surprise these days that the thrust of cyber criminal activity is now on attacking people uh, as opposed to attacking networks or machines or devices. Not that those attacks don't happen, but it's really the focus is on people. So we have a whole range of technology and solutions around trying to make sure people are, are safeguarded from, from that activity. Uh, my role within Proofpoint is to focus on the healthcare industry segment. We have a deliberate investment in a small number of industries, uh, healthcare being uh, one of those. And so my role is to make sure that we are bringing the best possible experience to the health to the market for our healthcare uh, industry customers by adapting our products, looking at use cases, um, et cetera. So. <laughs> Very good. Excuse me. Um, so as you alerted to earlier, we've seen a lot of attacks. We saw two non-healthcare recently. There was the Colonial Pipeline. And just uh, yesterday, the JBS, um, the cyber attack on the JBS uh, meat production, and that gets to national security levels. So you talk about interrupting the, right. the uh, fuel, interrupting food, uh, these kind of things. We have seen things also in healthcare recently. Seems to be a lot of ransomware going on, a lot of money being paid. Um, it seems like the severity and the pace is picking up. What are you seeing? I would agree with that. I mean, I think we have to probably make a little bit of distinction between uh, cyber criminal attacks and nation state attacks. And we don't necessarily know which falls into which camp. But I think, you know, there's a speculation that some of the, some of the activity that we're seeing, the more headline uh, focus activity is nation state activity. So that's a different type of, uh, of endeavor and something that we have to certainly be concerned about. But I think for those on this phone call, um, unless you have something about your institution, that means you're a nation state sort of our target for nation states. And if you have research um, within your institution, then you definitely could be a target for nation state uh, bad actors. Um, but the real problem challenge that will likely uh, uh, you know, be encountered for most people who are going to be on this uh, conversation, listening to this conversation, would be cyber criminal activity. And I think the one that I would really draw the attention to that I think is very noteworthy is what happened at Scripps down in San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very prominent health system, um, a certainly you know one of the um, linchpins of their community. 
somebody, uh, an organization who's mess, invested quite heavily in, in, you know, the broad spectrum of, of digital transformation for healthcare. Um, and, you know, they had a pretty significant ransomware attack, which took their system down for, for quite some time. It's not that we haven't seen that elsewhere, because uh, we certainly have, and we've certainly seen other health systems be impacted, but this is probably the most prominent health system that I can recall going or having this severe of an attack against their against their um, their systems. Do you know um, anything about that attack specifically to, to discuss it? I mean, we don't I mean, we want to use these as, as uh, learning experiences. We don't want to pick on anybody Absolutely because every not. CISO will tell you it's going to happen to them at some point. And it's almost like we but do, we do want to use this as learning opportunities. So have, have do, do you know enough yet about that to be able to discuss it on that level? Yeah, um, and I, I want to echo your point. Mm -hmm. um, the point of mentioning them um, is as a learning point. Mm -hmm. It's it's not to name them in a ad, you know in a in a derogatory way at all. Right. Um, I think your your broader point of like every institution is vulnerable, and this idea that I'm going to be out of the crosshairs because of whatever reason is just erroneous, and so we should learn from these experiences. Um, I, I don't think there's enough information in the public domain right now to discuss scripts in any sort of meaningful way. What we are seeing more broadly, though, with regards to ransomware is um, the attacks frequently starting on email. So it's not necessarily a traditional ransomware attack where there is a ransomware exploit attached to some sort of um, email that gets launched against the environment. I mean, those those absolutely do happen, but mm -hmm. a full, you know, most of your um, email gateways out there are going to catch those. Or if they're launched against your system or your network, your fire, firewalls are going to catch, catch a lot of those. What we are seeing, however, is a much more sophisticated type of attack where um, the purpose is really is to fish the individual in the network. So it's, it starts off as a cred phishing sort of exercise, and they will eventually launch that exploit or that malware later on when they've, when they've penetrated the system, they've befriended somebody, they've been able to obtain credentials, get into the environment, and then so they will detonate or they will launch that malware much, much later. So they have an ability to skirt past the defenses that is catching the commodity-based malware because um, they have credentials into the environment now. So that's a, I think that's that that is probably one of the, the trends we need to be very aware of is is how sophisticated uh, the attacks are happening these days, targeted the attacks are happening these days, and the fact that they are multi-stage sort of um, endeavors where it's not just launch, you know, send you some ransomware, hope you mm -hmm. click, and there you go. It's a multi-stage sort of campaign. And I think, you know, one of the points I would really want to make sure we understood is understood is never underestimate a couple of things. One is the lengths they will, bad actors will go to understand an environment. So they to explore, to use Facebook, to use LinkedIn, to examine your environment, and then to figure out how to launch a compelling lure 
And then number two, how patient they will be. So once they have, a, they are, the doors a little bit open, um, they will be very, very, very patient before they actually launch their exploit. Yeah, it's uh, it, it creepy, right? I mean, because when you think about the level to which they're studying, and and so we've talked before. I mean, you said there's certain departments. You mentioned research. Certain departments that are more targeted than others because of the either the le- the degree to which they correspond with outside entities, meaning they're used to corresponding with vendors and things like that. Um, and then there's, but you also mentioned research. So. If you have research, they're going to target your organization. They might want the research, but they don't necessarily need to attack people doing research, right? They could find a, a easier way in with the people that are doing supply chain or dealing with a lot of vendors. Come in that way, get to the research, correct? Uh, absolutely, 100%. I think the thing that I would say on this point is um, if you're somebody think about where your system might be vulnerable, um, Look at it from an attacker's eyes and think think about like what do we have that can be monetized? Um, whether that's control substances, whether that's data, whether that's um, invoices within your supply chain business associates, whether that's research. If you have something that could be monetized, the likelihood of that person or that department being attacked is, is exponentially higher. That's number one. Number two is, if you are known for something, if your institution is known for prowess and their expertise in a particular area, the bad actors are aware of that. And they are aware of the, the potential value associated with that. And they're probably going to, um, to uh, put their attacking efforts against what you're known for, because that's what's most valuable. And I have a little... Uh, vignette for there if you're interested mm-hmm, um, sure so i was looking at a um uh i, I want to keep this anonymous i was looking at a, a a a teaching hospital uh who had a strong academic research sort of component to their um to their institution and they had about gosh half dozen to a a dozen sort of research institutes attached to this institution. But there was one particular thing that they were really, really known for. So when we did some analysis on that institution, research was, you know, exponentially more attacked, but there was actually this one element of all all of their, I think about nine, all of their institutes, there was actually only one that was heavily attacked. And it was this, from a layman's sort of perspective, it's really obscure sort of research, I'm like, God, you know, who would even heard of this? Mm-hmm. But the bad actors figured out like that institution is known for that, that level of, of research. It was around genomics and we want to attack them for that. So they do the level of due diligence. They do the level of discovery to say, this is what this institution has that is, that is valuable. And that's what I'm going to go after. And I think we saw also during COVID in terms of like how quickly they pivoted in the news cycle, like they're following this stuff really, really, really intensely. And they will know where you, what you have in terms of what's monetizable and what's desirable on the black market. And, and this ransomware 
uh, element, doesn't that take, so you mentioned you might have entities out there, organizations that say it's not going to happen to me, right? What do I have? I don't have anything. We're small or we're whatever. We don't do any kind of cutting edge research. But when you talk about ransomware, you don't need to have anything cutting edge to be a target where you, they can extract dollars. They just need to freeze up your systems. They're not taking anything. They're just saying, hey, you can't function until you pay me a certain amount of money. So it's almost irrelevant what kind of fancy research you're up to. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. You're absolutely right. And in fact, um, in some ways, it almost makes you uh, more vulnerable. I mean, I think a couple of things I would say. One is these are equal opportunist hackers. <laughs> they don't not discriminate between big and large, remote, rural, uh, urban. They want to go after uh, whoever they believe they can have a monetizable return of, you know, return on their investment. Number one. Number two is, um, in many times or many instances, at least previously, we've seen the smaller institutions, be they school districts or be they community hospitals, be prime targets for ransomware for a couple of reasons. One is they generally don't have as much defenses in place, so they're right. easier to penetrate. Right. And two, they're more likely to pay a ransom because they just need to have, have systems unlocked. And three, actually, if you go for a lower dollar value in terms of what, what you're trying to extract, the propensity for it to pay is much higher. Of so course. it's one of those things. Where, yeah. yeah. Yes, everyone wants to hit the home run and get the big multi-million dollar ransom. But the bread and butter of the few thousand, ten, whatever the number is, a small number here, those things actually kind of quote unquote pay their bills. Yeah. So they, they do not ignore that element of the uh, cyber criminal sort of food chain, if you will. Would you say that anyone out there, and I know this is a concern of yours, and we'll get into this more, anyone out there with the attitude of it's not going to happen to me may not realize to what degree this stuff scales on the attacker's end. I'm guessing this scales pretty well. I'm meaning they can have a lot of lines in the water. Is that right? They can have a lot of lines in the water. And I think to that point, in terms of how it scales, and you know, get back to the, um, I guess, how creepy it can be. Mm -hmm. So Podimon has done a lot of research in this area about how long is a bad or how long is a hacker in your environment before you realize it. And with healthcare, it's generally six months. Wow. So they are in your system for six months before you even recognize that they're there. And if you think about that from a you know analogous to a physical security sort of um, example. That's like the equivalent of somebody living in the closet of your spare mm -hmm. bedroom mm -hmm. for six months, watching your activity, yep. figuring out, oh, he's out. They're out this time. They're home this time. They're, you know, this is where they keep their safe or whatever, mm -hmm. where they keep mm -hmm. their valuables. Right. And that's that's essentially what's happening at a cyber level. They are figuring out. So, so the opportunity to launch a scaled attack against that institution is quite pronounced because they've. They're there. They have the they have the ability and the exposure to to go do that. Uh, listen, I think we have covered the attack part. We know there's a lot of bad <laughs> stuff going on. We made people very nervous. Um, what and we've we talk about just being responsible and making sure that if something happens, you want to be in a position as a CISO or a CIO to say we did all that was reasonable. Okay, we did the right things. 
We did our due diligence. We had the right security in place. All that was reasonable and would be expected. That's at the very least that you want to be able to say that. So how, what puts you in a position not to be able to say that? What do you see? If you want to list anything, what are some of the minimum stakes to play? Like you got to be nuts if you don't have this stuff in place. What are those type of things? Yeah, and no, I think it's a good question. Uh, and I think when you think about the answer to that question, we should also make the parallel that what's the marketplace has changed, right? Ten years ago, when we were had this sort of dialogue, maybe eight years ago, the concern would be around: Am I going to have a HIPAA violation? Um, five years ago, when we had this sort of conversation, it was like okay, what do I have to make an investment in to make sure I qualify for meaningful use? Like, what are the what are the cyber components that allows me to unlock those dollars? Right. The conversation now really is, am I impacting patient safety? Right. Is my lack of security uh, posture having a direct impact on the mission of my institution? Because we can no longer provide care because we're locked out of our EHR or our systems, or we can't see patients. That I think is has got to be the true north that we think about in terms of how do you answer this question. It's sure, you don't want to fall foul of HIPAA and you don't want to be fined and you don't want to have brand erosion, but really you want to make sure you're not impacting your institution's ability to treat patients. And I, I think, there are a lot of pointers in the marketplace into, in terms of where the attack surface is. And whether you want to believe Verizon or whether you want to believe Ponymon or whether you want to believe Hims, all produce annual studies and research on this sort of topic. Um, the attack surface is almost always on email. I think the Hims report that came out in December said 89% of all attacks, the initial point of compromise is on email. And that's a fairly broad and stark, and that's a fairly strong number. Like, like if you could just do one thing, stop email-based attacks, because almost always that's where they're happening. If you want to believe the him state, and by the way, Verizon, they would all corroborate this. They're all saying the same thing. So if I'm playing defense, right, and I think in terms of like, if you want to use analogy of like, I don't know, football or whatever, it's like if 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 they're running the ball on you, they're going to keep running the ball onto you until you stop the running game. Absolutely. Right? So um, the running game today from a bad actor standpoint is email. Attacking people, but attacking people on email or other messaging channels. That is where you need to. So in, in terms of what you should do to protect, you need to have a strong sort of email gateway. You need to have a strong a training program that allows people to identify what a malicious email looks like. Um, You need to have authentication tools that allow your institution to say, hey, is the person who is sending me an email actually the person who is purported to be coming from? So can I I unmask that? Um, Are my emails being, uh, are we having uh, emails sent from our institution in an imposter sort of capacity, people purporting to be, be from our institution. So what sort of uh, tools can we use there from, you know, to, to prevent fraud? Um, do we have the right sort of exfiltration capabilities? So 
if you know someone gets into our system, we don't allow them to extract information from the system. Um, so I think these are um, these are some of the basics uh, that I would expect there to be in place. Um, and I think that's the kind of like the, the table stake sort of investments, you know, email gateway, some sort of DMARC technology to prevent, um, to authenticate your email users, you know, a strong sort of training program, data loss prevention sort of program. Then you can, get, you can go a little bit further around things like isolation technology. So if you're working with your supply chain or you're working with people who have to click on links, download documents as a core component of their job on a you know, that's what, what they do in their job. You can isolate their email traffic so there's no vulnerability uh, to the, because uh, it's, it's in a containerized environment. You can isolate that traffic. There's no vulnerability to the system, et cetera. So these are some basic technologies that can certainly be in place. And I think I would, you know, I would remind the listeners we probably all bank with organizations that the moment a suspect credit card transaction happens on our account, we're getting a text almost mm-hmm. in real time yeah. asking you to say, hey, is this you? Did you make mm-hmm. this transaction? That's just an investment in technology, an investment in analytics, an investment in automation that that industry has made that healthcare hasn't made yet. Now that might be a couple clicks above, above where where healthcare can get at least immediately, but it does demonstrate that there are tools available today to solve for a lot of these problems. Um, and I think healthcare just now needs to make that investment, and they need to make that investment not as a means to prevent further our potential HIPAA exposure. They need to make that as an investment to protect your patients. Right. Right. So what you're saying is that it's, it's coming in through email and it sounds like what you're saying is, so the attacks we're focusing on discussing right now that are the real issue are coming in through email and they are requiring or to be successful, they require the cooperation, unintentional cooperation of someone in the organization. So it's an email coming in it's fooling someone, an insider, an employee into doing something, divulging credentials, and that's what we're talking about, correct? That's what we're talking about. And ultimately, our, our, sorry, in many cases, it's a multi-embedded sort of program. So someone may not hand over their credentials, but they might hand over pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. And then you're your colleague, a couple of cubicles down, hands over a piece of jigsaw puzzle. And then before you know it, you've, you're able to assemble the puzzle. Now, when you so. say the puzzle, are you talking about you get a little bit of information from everyone and then you cre- create an email so compelling and so filled with real information that the person who gets it takes it for being, how could anybody know all this stuff? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Wow. And so, and they might, yeah. they might be, they might pretend to be your supplier. They might pretend to be uh, one of your colleagues because they're using masking technology in terms of who's the email from. Um, and then they have that. And then they're, they're framing the email in a way where the language is natural. Their request is natural. Their request is in line with your job function. You already have engagement with this individual anyway, so you're not having any reason to be suspicious of them. And so people just unwittingly 
and like you essentially said, hand over kings of the kingdom or or at least un- help unlock uh, the kingdom. And like you said, person A, B, and C, they didn't even give up anything big. They gave up no. a little fact here, a little piece of information here, and they said, right. what was that? How could I have broken any rules there? Exactly. So that's hard to train uh, to prevent, right? I mean, yeah, that's more difficult. Everyone knows don't give out your credit card number, don't give out your email, your username and password. But you know, from what you're saying, the way they're accumulating the pieces of the puzzle, it's harder to train that individual employee not to give up that seemingly innocuous piece of information. Right. It is. And, and, and it could be things like, you know, a fraud sort of exercise where they're trying to figure out, you know, they're trying to figure out whether John from accounting uh, is at a conference and therefore away from his email and therefore out of the office and therefore having somebody deputizing for John when, you know, on responding to certain things. And, and when you start framing the email, oh, yeah, I know John's at conference ABC in Miami or whatever. And I understand Deborah's uh, responding to his email. So can you just tell Deborah to call me? I need to, you know, right. You're like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it could, you know? that might even, right. That's in the, out of the office email. Right. Sometimes, sometimes it's yeah. Sometimes it's very easy because the the keys are they're given right over. in front of you. Yes. Yeah. Um. Let's talk a little bit about now. I'm thinking for the CISOs out there. From what I'm hearing, it's not a question of not being able to get dollars. Uh, that's what I'm hearing. You, you might be hearing something else, but um. And I'm guessing that the challenge is not coming. Maybe it used to be convincing the board and, and the C-suite to spend the money. It, it's really on um, balancing it and usability and not pissing off the clinicians, right? Because the farther you go locking things down, the more the users will be unhappy. You don't want that. You want them to be able to practice medicine. Is that where you see the tension in uh, sewing things up, so to speak, from a security point of view? Is it in that balance with usability as opposed to fighting for dollars now? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, certainly clinician workflow is always going to be a, a, you know, something that we have to all pay attention to, but there's been a lot of research. Uh, AMA put out um, something about a year ago saying that um, at least the survey of their membership suggested that the lion's share of those who responded were most concerned about their ability to provide patient care, being locked out of the EHR, having to cancel appointments. So in terms of like, that was far more important in in terms of investing in cybersecurity than say five years ago when they were concerned about being sued or they were concerned about brand reputation. They were concerned about having to invest in systems and spend their money in that way. So I, I think there is a turning of the tide on that. Um, there's been a really compelling article or two in the New York Times that talked about um, around the Thanksgiving time frame, a system that got that got was essentially lost access to their EMR for about a month. And they interviewed, I think what made that article really interesting is they interviewed kind of all of the people involved in the exercise. So they looked at it from a patient point of view, from a IT point of view, from a clinician point of view. And these people were almost brought to tears because they had to send cancer patients, like 
to the next sort of institution, which was like three to four hours away. And, and they were, you know, where they could see patients, the clinicians were having to reconstruct from memory on put it on paper. And, you know, it, it like it brought home in kind of like vivid technicolor, the challenges of not having this sort of security posture in place. And I mm-hmm. think they were like, it just made everyone realize like, this is really serious. This is, this is like, this is life defining or career defining. Um, and so I don't want to like over egg it, but like, if it happens to you, if it happens to your institution, it, it gets, it goes from like, gets really serious really quickly. And it's, it, it changes your whole outlook forever on the importance of some of this sort of stuff. And let's, so I just don't, you know, I, I, somebody who's passionate about the defense of this industry, it just kind of breaks my heart when I hear this, these sort of stories, because I, it's not like no, nobody is always going to be, there's no fail safe for technology, but some of the stuff's avoidable. And I would just like to see the industry take that gigantic leap forward so we don't have these sort of news stories as frequently. So some of it's avoidable, some of it's uh, not avoidable, I assume. Um, we've talked a number of times, and what has always strikes me about you is your sincerity and your passion about this stuff. You're not just here uh, to do a job. This stuff affects you and disturbs you when you see this thing happening, when it affects patient care. Why, why do you think – why are you so passionate about this? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a product of Silicon Valley. Uh, I grew up in Silicon Valley. I believe, I don't know this fact categorically, but I believe the apple orchard that was outside of my house where I grew up ultimately became Infinite Loop, which is the, at least it was the original Apple headquarters before they built their spaceship. So I, I was always in technology and I worked in technology across multiple industries for a long time. And I somehow, I, you know, landed in, into focusing on healthcare a little bit in like, in like a 2005 for a time frame. And something about the industry, I just kind of caught the bug. You know, I didn't, I didn't catch the bug enough to actually become part of the industry, but I wanted to work with the industry. So I actively sought out roles. Admittedly, I'm on this side of the, you know, I'm on the supplier side of the equation, but sought roles where I could focus wholly on healthcare. And I think it was the noble nature of the industry. It was the, um, they're doing um, the unsung sort of hero aspect of the industry that I really uh, gravitated towards. Um, I am not in the saving lives business. I know that, I know my place, but to know that I'm doing work that even remotely moves the needle just a little bit to go help this industry be a little bit better makes me feel a lot better about the work I do and the career I've path I've chosen. Um, and I, you know, I often say, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a researcher, whether you're a clinician, there are a lot easier ways to make a living um, than, than being, than working in healthcare, but you choose healthcare because you have something in your makeup that wants to help humanity. And I kind of feel like, although I'm on the supplier side, I kind of feel akin to that. I mean, mm-hmm. there are probably either other industries I could work for, but I, this is the one I want to work, work in. 
Right. So, so the frustrating thing comes if, if, if you see an, an organization did not do all that was reasonable and within their means, right? Because right. then, then, and we see patient care impacted, those things in a chain are unfortunate to see. Um, we're almost out of time. I just want to know if you had a, a final thought for our CIO and CISO listeners who, you know, want to do, as we said, all that is right and within their power. There could be any number of reasons that they are unable or finding challenges in getting that done. Um, any any final thoughts you want to leave them with? Yeah, I, the final thought is I'm a realist. So I understand that the resources in healthcare are different than other industries. There's a reason why financial services can send you that, that text immediately mm-hmm. in healthcare. Can't, I get all that. Um, so it would be impractical, unreasonable to say the gold standard for cybersecurity should be right throughout your institution. But there are pockets within your institution where you need to make that investment. There are about, in most cases, around 10% or so where those, those job functions are far more heavily targeted. And that's where you can, there's research available that tells you who those people are. Uh, so if you're not available, you can either avail yourself of that research or you can just think about it like what's monetizable in my, in my institution. And that's where you can make incremental investments and move the needle in a way that's more cost um, more cost uh, reasonable within your institution. So not everybody needs a gold standard, but maybe 10% needs the gold standard. And so figure out who those 10% are. And that I think that variable of knowing who's being attacked, how you stop the running game should be a strong guide point to where you make your investments. Whether that investment is in, in, in technology or processes or whatever, I think that's where you should get your, you should get your focus. All right, Ryan, a pleasure as always, a lot of good stuff in here. And um, I think, uh, I think we're in good shape. So thank you so much. It was a great, great conversation. Thank you, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed talking with you.